Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. It wasn't some book that I read on prophecy. It wasn't some book that I read on 
personality. I never took a personality test. It was the sovereign power of God on this earth that touched my heart and changed me forever. But in an instant, I was delivered from alcoholism and from, from all kinds of other things, right? There was still that process of justification. I was justified by the cross, but then there was a secondary process of sanctification. Come on, how many of you know that God is still working on me? Come on, if that's you, can you say amen? Amen. So I wanted to do a, a back-to-basic series, and I wanted to go through some of the simpler, finer elements of, of the gospel. Come on, just the simple knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, how many of you know that, it, that church isn't about personality, it's not a social club, it's not a place to gather, that this building is totally irrelevant in the kingdom of God? How many of you know that this building will not be in heaven when we get there? That your seat or your pew or your Bible will not go with you into eternity. I want you to know that, that these things are very temporal. That I, I was talking to Kenny and Jennifer. They are operating our Years to Grow daycare right across in the education building. I said that these buildings and all these things that we have, they're tools for the one purpose, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of everything that we do. That's the purpose of the carpet. Every light bulb in here is purpose for reaching the gospel. Uh, reaching the, the lost with the gospel of Jesus. Amen? That's our goal. That's the mission of the church. He says, go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them my commandments. You see, there's teaching them. You know, it's not enough just to tell them about Jesus and have their life transformed and changed forever, but I want you to know that the enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and as soon as that newborn babe is brought up into the light of Jesus Christ, the enemy wants to come and snatch him out. How many of you know in the, in the, in the, in the book of Luke, Jesus tells a, a, a parable. He talks about a sower who sows seed, and he sows some seed by the wayside. It says that the bird comes and snatches them up. JP talked about that, the sowing of seed, right? How many of you know God is a sowing God? In fact, it says in his word that whenever, after God flooded the earth, God made a covenant with Noah. He said that forever there will be a time a seed time and harvest. That when we begin to sow, I want you to know that we're going to reap. You're going to reap what you sow. If you reach into destruction, you're going to sow destruction. If you sow into destruction, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow into eternity, you're going to reap eternity. You see, we need to begin to teach those young ones and let their hearts be fertile uh, for the gospel. We need to teach them the basics of, uh, and the foundations of our, of our faith. And it's not to say that that I believe that, that we have a church that doesn't know the basics. But what I am saying is that how many of you were saved as an adult? Can you raise your hand? Let's say if you an adult, I mean like 18 or over, right? And that's probably most of us here. So I didn't have the, the opportunity, although I was in children's church uh, growing up sometimes, I didn't have the opportunity to go through the structure of, Bible, of, of children's church and to learn all the stories about Noah and David and Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I didn't know about Jacob and Isaac and, and all the, the disciples. And whenever they began to talk about two kingdoms, you know, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, I was like, what in the world are we talking about? Because I didn't have the basic foundations that, that were there to build me up. In fact, when I first got saved, real quick like, and in a hurry, I went right back into the world. Why? Because, because I got saved and I had this emotional experience. But how many of you know it feels good to be forgiven? It feels good to be forgiven. But, but I want you to know that it's, you can be forgiven, but if you continue to sin, you're going to end up right in the same mess you were in before. 
that we need to begin to strengthen ourselves. We need to know the word of God. Many haven't grown up in the church, and many haven't ever been part of a structured Bible study. They don't know the word of God. I want you to, to get an understanding that we have to know the word of God. We have to know the word. The word expressed through, through, through Jesus Christ and the word expressed through the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because the, the Holy Scriptures is our standard of faith. I mean, you can judge a lot of things against the Word, and if it, if it contradicts the Word, I want you to know the Word wins. In fact, if you, in the early Reformation church, in the, night, in the 1500s, they began to have a term called sola scriptura, which means only Scripture. You see, because at that time, people began to add to the Word. They said, well, it's not in the Bible. This is part of our apostolic tradition or this is part of some, some decree that was made at some council years ago. And see, the, the fact is it's okay to follow those traditions and those things like that, but when those traditions begin to contradict the very word of God, then we have to question our own traditions. And that's what that Reformation was about. It was a going back to the word. It was a getting back to the basics of the gospel. So I decided to preach a series this summer, the Back to the Basics. And today just happens to be Pentecost Sunday. And I remember when I got saved, it's like, Pente what? What? Sunday? What is Pentecost? But I believe that God has a message today for many of you as you begin to look into the Word and see that Pentecost Sunday isn't just some, or, or, or even the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just some arbitrary spiritual emotional experience. You see, it's the power of God unto salvation. Do you realize that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a new covenant with the Lord? A couple of us got that. I'm gonna, by the end of this, I'm hoping we all get it. You see, it's not enough just to be, listen to the word and listen to a bunch of preachers. In, in 1 Corinthians 4.15, it says, For you might, might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. You see, Paul is telling them, it's not enough just to get a bunch of instruction. You see, I, I used to do training in my past job, and it's not enough just to hand them a book, say, hey, read this, and you're going to become better at what we do. It's not how it works. I had to take them through a process. I had to mentor them, show them. And when they made mistakes, I didn't just fire them. I had to teach them their mistakes and help them, encourage them, and so they can learn and grow. You see, in our Christian faith, it's no different. We have to begin to engage with people for the, with the gospel. We have to have fathers and father figures in our life. We have to have those who are willing not just to teach us. How many of you realize I can go watch a thousand sermons on YouTube and I can continue to live in my sin and turmoil? And that because that, that TV preacher has no ability to speak to your life other than through some prophetic thing of you know, some prophetic word. But what I'm saying is is you can't ask him a question. You need to find people in your life who are willing to, to speak truth to you. It's more than just head knowledge, but the gospel changes you. I want you to think about that. If the gospel doesn't change you, then it's not the gospel. It's just some good knowledge. It's just a good story. The gospel should change exactly everything about who you are. Well, I want you to know whenever I got saved and I began to read the gospel, I began to read words that totally changed the way I think. When I began to read the words of Jesus that says, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Well, God, but, but, but what does that mean? See, I was brought up in a world that says you need to defend yourself. Come on, somebody does something against you, you need to seek rest of, uh, reconciliation. You need to begin to fight back 
But you see, the truth of the gospel is, is that when we begin to fight back, we close the door. Jesus says, how many times, or Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Seven times? That's what it says in the law. Jesus says, what, seven times 70? Forgiveness, mercy, compassion. This is the, these are the language, this is the language of the gospel. See, Jesus says, if someone hits one cheek, you turn the other cheek. I said, well, Jesus, all I got was two cheeks. He said, no, you got more. Just turn the other cheek. That was my dad's joke for the day. My daughter's blushing. You see, because ideas that we, that we learn have consequences. You see, ideas that we learn, that ha- they have consequences. When we begin to learn things, I want you to know, they begin to bring forth fruit. When we begin to sow, we begin to reap. If we learn something that's outside of Scripture, then we, and then we begin to apply that in our life, it's going to bring forth fruit. And many times that fruit could not be so productive. I'll give you one very controversial uh, comment. Y'all, want, y'all ready for some controversy? How many of y'all like controversial pastors? I mean, I, I'm controversial. I'll, I'll speak against abortion. I'll speak against homosexual marriage. And I'll defend my position on all that. I'll go to the state capitol and I'll talk to the senators. I'll talk to the representatives. I'll call the... I'm even, I even have plans to talk to our local legislature about are about stopping having sports events on Sunday morning because it's deteriorating the family unit. That's controversial enough. But how many of, how many of y'all heard the saying, this is just an example of, of bad theology? It's actually not that bad of theology, but whenever you begin to apply it, it can bring back bad fruit, right? Have, you ever, have y'all ever heard the saying, once saved, always saved? If you've heard that, raise your hand. We all, we all have, right? But the truth is, I believe that as a theologically. Right? I believe that once you're saved, as long as man, there's nothing that can take you away from the love of God. It says that in the Bible, right? That I can't, that not, not nothing can, man, not beasts, not anything. There's one thing that can take me away from the love of God. That's me. I can make the decision in my heart to walk away. So if I believe and, I, and, and not follow his commandments, he says this, if you listen to me and follow my commandments, then you are my disciples. By natural reason, I can say that if I don't follow his commandments, then I'm not his disciple, Right? You see, we, have to, we can't just say things and throw things out there and, and think that, that that idea is going to bear good fruit. You see, it's, it may be true, but it's not whole. And we're a full gospel, whole gospel church. We believe that once you're saved, you are always saved. As long as you just continue to follow his commands, do the things that God calls you to do, be faithful to the calling that God's positioned you for, then yes, you are. But as soon as you begin to go back and live that sinful life that, that you were living before and slap Jesus in the face and his grace... You're not saved anymore. And, you're, and you're, uh, your destiny is a sinner's, a devil's hell. Not a sinner's hell, it's a devil's hell. Hell was created for Satan and, and the fallen angels. And we can make that decision to go there by not following and giving our hearts to Jesus Christ. So is that, is that a controversial statement? I can make some more, but I'll not be able to preach my message. That's not the message. But I've just given you an example that Ideas have consequences. When we begin to believe something, they begin to have consequences, right? If I told you that if you wanted to go to New York City, get in your car and drive south, right? You're not going to ever make it there. I mean, you will. It's the very, very long way around, right? What I'm saying is is that ideas have consequences. In John 8, 31, 32, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my, what? In my word, 
you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus calls us to abide in his word, the logos, the teachings and doctrines, the truth, the word of God. And he's called us to be disciples, pupils, students, learners. We're all learning something. How many of you realize that? We're all learning something. There's nothing that we do that is frivolous and meaningless. Everything that you do in your life, every decision that you make is setting you on a course for somewhere. What decisions are you making? What course are you going on? I believe that God's called us to a a life of discipleship. I I have a simple discipleship model, in fact, and I'll share it. This is good if you're a if you're a boss or you have some people that work for you or some people that's kind of in authority that you're, God's put in your life to have authority over or to teach, it's a simple discipleship model. This is actually Jesus' discipleship model. Jesus came and he did things on this earth. So we, this is, in discipleship, I like to have people just watch me do something. I'll just watch me do this and I'll do it. And then, then Jesus allowed his apostles to kind of participate and do works with him. You see, that, that's how he did. He said, hey, come on, let's go do this. And he would, he, they would see him heal the sick. They would see him raise the dead. They would see him preach the truth. You see, in, in Jesus' life, there's never an instance of the apostles teaching anybody anything. They, they simply, Jesus allowed the apostles to participate. So we allow people to help, help us perform a task. Right? So, well, I'll do it. You watch me. Then you can help me. And then Jesus, if you remember, he sent the 70 out two by two. He says that you go and do this. So you allow someone to do that task and you watch them do it. And then Jesus released them into their ministry. You see, discipleship is a process. It's not just me saying, here's the Bible, here's a book, here's here's something. It's a step by step by step. It's very intentional. I want you to know that you're being discipled. In Romans chapter 12, it says, do not be conformed into this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, it's either you're being transformed or you're being conformed. The world is either conforming you or the gospel is transforming you. So back to the basics. Today is Pentecost Sunday. I want to talk this morning about the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a this is something that I believe has been and, and will continue to be. Uh, it can be very uh, controversial because, like I said, ideas have consequences. But I, this is what I want you to learn today, that the Bible speaks truth on this situation. It speaks truth. And what the Word of God said is the Word of God. The Word of God is true. Anything outside of that is, well, it'll be burned in the fire. If it's worthy, it'll stand. If it's not, it'll be burned away like the chafe of the wheat. But let's let's begin here. I want to establish the point that God intended and he promised his Holy Spirit to us. I want to look in Luke 24, verse 46, and we're going to read through 49. I want to establish that that there is a promise of the Father. That Jesus was just a... Jesus wasn't just anything. That's bad grammar. Jesus was everything. But I want you to know that Jesus gave a promise to his disciples and then by right gave a promise to all of us. Is everybody there? Say amen. It says, then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached 
in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. For those of you who are called for Eleni and Joseph and John and Elisha, the calling of the gospel is not just to make people feel good about who they are. It's not encouragement. It's any, none of those things. The crux of our mission, the crux of our calling is to preach repentance and the remission of sin to all nations. It's the, that is the power of the gospel. Turn from your wicked ways, repent, and God will save you. He has already done the work. You just have to start living in that promise. And you are my witnesses, that verse 48. You are my witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. We've got to understand that word tarry there means to wait. He says that, look, we've, I've already done the work of the gospel. I've already done the thing. You see, the promises of God, they didn't begin on the day of Pentecost. I want you to get that. The promises of God, the promise of the Father wasn't established on the day of Pentecost, but the promises were reinforced on the day of Pentecost. The promises were realized on the day of Pentecost. Imagine if it was like Christmas, and we, were, and we have kids. They're waiting and waiting and waiting for this wonderful gift, and on December 25th, they wake up in the morning. There's presents under the tree. They open them up, and they have received that gift. That is the day of Pentecost, that there were promises leading up, that people were waiting. What is this promise, this promise, this promise? And on the day of Pentecost, those promises were realized. You see, we, we are living in a time of the promise of the Father. That's the time that we live in. That's the dispensation that we live in, the dispensation of promise, the dispensation of the grace of God living and active on this earth. You see, Pentecost Sunday is not just a Christian day. It's not just some special day of significance for Jews, but I believe that it's a special day of significance for the rest of the world. See, God's intentional about what he does. He doesn't waste his efforts in insignificance. You see, the, the day of Pentecost wasn't just some day that became famous because God sent his Holy Spirit unto this earth, and they were all baptized and tongues of cloven fire and all that stuff. All that stuff is true, but I want you to know that people were celebrating that day before that day. That the day of Pentecost was actually a feast that the Jews celebrated. And that's some very, there's some very significance there. How many of you know God just doesn't do things and say, oh, that was cool. Look at all that lined up. No, he's very intentional about what he does. Come on, don't think that God moved you here or moved somebody there. I remember when me and Shannon came to this, to this, to this region, we bought a house less than a mile away. We, thinking, we had an idea in our mind that, God, you didn't just move us here just out of chance, but we were here for a purpose. Little did we know, seven years later, we would be pastoring a church just down the road. Had no clue. No, I, 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 it didn't happen. God doesn't waste his plans in unintentionality. God is very intentional. You see, we, just 50 days ago, we celebrated what holiday? Easter, the Passover. You see, I believe that that, that that represented and that sets the stage for, the, for Pentecost, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because we know that the Passover, where the, the Jews celebrated what? The deliverance from, from, of the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt. You see, the, the Israelites were living there in Egypt for 400 years. They were so deep in bondage that they didn't even realize that they were in bondage. They were so deep. In, in, in being used of the, uh, uh, by the Egyptian people that they thought that that was just a normal, everyday way of life. Come on, how many of you know that 
I've been around drug addicts that just thought that this is just how everybody lives. This is just normal to live like this. To wake up in the morning and have these cravings, these deep desires. To be woken up in the middle of the night with shakes and tremors and nightmares. And they just think this is just a normal experience of life. You see, these Israelites were so deep in, in bondage that they thought that this was normal. And God delivered them out of that bondage by, by supernatural means. I want you to keep in mind that not only did God just show up and say, hey, uh, y'all can go now. No, Moses came and under the power and the anointing of God and he went to the, to the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And when Pharaoh said no, God began to do miraculous things, signs and wonders and miracles like none of us have ever seen. And God on Easter, he finally delivers his people out of that bondage and they come into the wilderness. They celebrate that day even now. We still celebrate this and we remember. Why? Because we need to know that God is our deliverer. He is the one who sets us free. No, there's no king, there's no pharaoh, there's no, there's no body on this earth that can hold us into bondage when God is on our side. The Bible teaches us that there's no weapon formed against us that shall prosper. That is the message of Passover. That's the message of, of Easter. But you see, they go into the wilderness and they have an event there. and they, they, they don't know what to do. 400 years in bondage. What are we going to do now? We're out here in the middle of nowhere, Moses. What's, ne what's next? You see, 50 years later, or 50 days later, they come to this mountain, the mountain of Sinai. And something significant takes place there. You see, the, the day... Of, uh, of Pentecost is, is the last day of the Feast of Shavuot. If you're, if you're taking notes, it's S-H-A-V-O-U-T. And this is the day that had special significance to the Jews. Why? Because this is the day that God, after he delivered the people from the bondage of, of, of Egypt, took them to the Mount of Sinai and created the Old Covenant. This is the day of the outpouring. This is the day that God revealed himself on the mountain and gave the Jewish people the Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments. You see, that may seem somewhat insignificant, but it's very significant. You see, not only did God say, I'm going to deliver you out of bondage, but I want to make covenant with you. I want you to be my people. I want you to have a special place on this earth. So he begins to give them some commands, some covenants, some ways to live by, some identity markers. I was, me and JP were, were in Africa. And in Africa, they eat things called snails that are like this big, right? Now listen, man, I, I, that's just what they do. So if you see a person eating snails this big, then odds are they're probably from Africa. And it's kind of their normal thing. It's part of their identity, right? And not only that, but African people are a little darker skinned than me. Somebody laughed. I mean, it's not a racist thing. People have darker skin and lighter skin. There's only one race, by the way, the human race, and they were founded in Adam and Eve. Anyway, I don't want to get into a whole genetics conversation right now. But all I'm saying is there's certain identity that the African people have that aren't my identity. See, God said, I want to give you my identity. I want you to live, begin to live according to my identity. That's what God began to tell his, his people there on that mountain. But it's even more than that. If you look in, and you can just write these down. We have them up on the screen. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. God says this. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice. I, I 
I want you to think about that. Write that down. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, write that down. Two things, obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. I want you to think about this. God's not just telling this to Moses individually. He's telling this to the entire nation of Israel. You see, it was never intended for for, 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 for the people of Israel to come out of bondage and to go into the promised land with, with, a, with a priest and a prophet and a bunch of people following them. God brought them out of the land of Egypt so that he can have a nation of priests and prophets that go and possess the land and possess the promised land and begin to share the good news of God and begin to change the entire identity of the world through their, through their presence. I, I need you to get that understanding. He says this, that, that you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom, say that, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. On that day, God spoke on that Mount of Sinai, 50 days after the Passover, God takes them there, and through, through thunderings and smoke and fire, God begins to make special covenant with his people. We read in Exodus 20, 18, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, now I want you to keep this in mind. This is some great apologetics right here. Is there a God? You see, in this moment, there were 600,000 head of households standing at the foot of this mountain. And they all heard the words of God speak, them and all their family, probably some 2 to 4 million people who heard the audible voice of God on that day. And it so impacted a nation that they created the whole Jewish religion that as a matter of fact, it was on that day that God began to make a new covenant with his people. Is there a God? Yeah, according to some two to four million witnesses that heard a voice from heaven. They saw smoke, they saw thunderings, they saw lightning. And they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And it was in this very moment that the office of, of, of priest and prophet was changed. You see, Moses became the prophet, and, and Aaron became the priest. Moses became the one who heard from God and spoke to the people. Aaron became the one who, who, who ministered on the behalf of the people towards God. I, I love this little analogy. Someone had asked a little young kid, what's the difference between a priest and a prophet? And that kid said, well, it's just the way they stand. And like, what? You know, because that's how kids answer things, real simple. He said, yeah, a prophet faces away from God and faces towards the people. He's talking to the people. A priest faces away from the people and speaks on behalf of us, and speaks to God on behalf of the people. See, that's the difference. Now, that's pretty good stuff. Out of the mouth of babes. You see here, they, they in the Passover, Jesus, through the cross, brought them from deliverance, bondage, and new life. You see, that's the, that's the correlation. That's the type and shadow. You see that, that, that the, the, 
the, uh, the Passover is representative of what Jesus did on the cross, that he brought us out of the bondage of sin. He brought us out of the slavery of death. How many of you know if you're in Jesus Christ that death has lost its sting? How many of you realize that we don't have to be afraid of death anymore? We don't have to be afraid of, of, of disease. We don't have to be afraid of these things because we know we have eternity with the Father, that this life is but a breath. You see, in that, the Passover was deliverance out of bondage, and then through the cross was deliverance out of the bondage of sin. And then 50 days later, God establishes his new covenant and establishes his unique people on this earth. You see, on that day, 50 days later, I believe that on Shavuot, as we celebrate that, God establishes a new covenant. Uh, Jesus sent the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. You see, in the wilderness, God wrote his law upon tablets of stone. How many of y'all have read that story? If you look in 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, it says that clearly you are an epistle of Christ. He's talking to the, his church, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is your heart. You see, this new covenant that God establishes with his unique people is no longer a covenant that is written on stone, uh, tablets of stone, but he establishes a new covenant that is written upon our hearts. A new covenant in the blood of Jesus sealed through his Holy Spirit. God is the God of order. God is a God of peace. How many of you know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit wasn't a time of chaos, but it was a time of divine order? You see, God is about order. In the beginning, God sent his word. He, he brought order, uh, out of chaos, he brought order. In the wilderness, God sent his word. Out of the chaos and the, and the wandering, he brought order. In the manger, God sent his word. Out of the chaos and the wandering, God, where are you? 400 years of silence, he brought order. Jesus is the Word. In fact, John says that in the, Jesus, that the Word was in the beginning. The Word is God, and the Word was with God. Luke 24, 49, we read that the promise of the Father, he says, tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. This isn't just go sit and wait. I have something that I'm sending to you. And how many of you know when you get the promise, it's like, was that the promise? No, no they knew that this was the promise. The legal work was done. Wait for the promise to be fulfilled. Wait for the power and the authority to come. You see, I, I want you to see that the correlation, the intentionality of what God truly did. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just some singular emotional experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, a, is part of the establishment of the new covenant through Jesus Christ with God and His church. That when we become empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's not just that we can feel better. It's not just about some gifts, but it's about the one who gives the gifts. How many of you know that when we begin to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, we're not just seeking evidence, but we're seeking power and authority. God begins to change us uniquely. He begins to change us eternally. Our very purpose and direction changes forever. You see, whenever God established his covenant with the people of Israel there in the wilderness, their identity changed. It was at that moment that they became one nation under God. They became a nation. They had a unique set of laws. 
They had a unique order. They had a government. These are the things that build nations. I want you to see the correlation that it's no, by no accident that God sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the same day that they had tens of thousands of Jews there in Jerusalem celebrating this giving of the Torah, that God comes again with fire and thunder and a mighty rushing wind, and he sends his Holy Spirit unto this earth, and everybody witnessed it. See, God didn't do this miracle in some back alley somewhere. I want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, but I don't want everybody to see me. That's not the way God works. Come on, how many of you know that when God does a miracle, it's for his glory, not for ours? Hey, that was even next in my notes. Praise the Lord. It says that Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says, John truly baptized with water, which is a baptism of repentance. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus says in the book of Luke, I'm sending the promise of the Father. What is that promise? He said, that promise is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not just the baptism that we're waiting for, but it's, it's what that represents, a new covenant, a new bond. But how many of you know when you're baptized in water that you don't just go under the water and you come out bone dry? Have y'all ever seen anybody do that? I have seen many baptisms. I have never put somebody under the water. And when they come up, they look exactly like they did when they went in. Come on, their makeup, if they had makeup on, was coming off. Their hair was wet. Their clothes was wet. They looked like a wet puppy dog or whatever, cat, person. They're changed. Their physical appearance changed. Now, we know that baptism is, is representative, but I believe that baptism is so much more than just a representation of an internal truth. Baptism means that we're changed for this moment, then we're changed forever after that. You see, the baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't just some spiritual change. It's, it's not just a, a, an immersion in water by which we get wet. But see, it's an, immersional, it's an immersion in a relationship with which now we have the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling in us. You see, God begins to write his new covenant, not on tablets of stone, but he begins to write his new covenant on our heart. You see, because why? Now we can hear his voice and obey his covenant. See, if you wrote that down, you remembered that. You see, God never intended for, for just to write these, these stone tablets for Moses and then be on his way. What God was wanting to restore was relationship, the same relationship that he had with Adam and Eve in the garden where he can walk with his people. And he knew that he can't dwell in the same place as sin does. So he says, you have to get your life straight. I'm not mad at you. You've been living in bondage. But you're not in bondage no more. Of course, they didn't really pay attention, but that's a, another story. But what I'm trying to say is the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just some spiritual, emotional experience, but it's a new covenant where God comes and lives in us, and he begins to dwell in us. Come on, I want you to know, when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, man, you want to talk about conviction? Go get baptized in the Holy Ghost in the morning, and then go try to watch a rated R movie. It, it's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you. Why? Because God, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. You don't even really, I mean, you need to know the word, but God begins to speak to you and through you. It's not just about the gifts, but it's about his baptism, about his covenant. 
You see, God was intentional. He did this new covenant in the same way lightning and thunder and wind and smoke. On the new day of Shavuot, on the Pentecost Sunday, when people came expecting just to eat ice cream, and that is uh, part of their tradition, if you want to get into Jewish tradition. But anyway, God did something a little bit more significant. You know, God showed up to their ice cream social and changed their hearts and minds. It says that day, 3,000 lives were changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and were baptized. You see why? Because they begin, as the church began to operate under the new covenant, the new authority in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does this make any sense? You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that we have to wait on. But it's not something, it's something that's already been given. We just have to come into alignment with it. One of my favorite verses of scripture. So, so get the image. All of the people of Israel, some two to four million people standing around a mountain and all of a sudden, smoke, fire, the tri- tr- trembling. And God begins to speak audibly the Ten Commandments. And the people, they're so fearful of what they just experienced. They says, Moses, dude, we can't handle this. You go speak for us. And God gives the, the, the commandments. You have that image in your brain? Mountains, people, fire. Fast forward 3,500 years. On that day that they celebrate that day, think about it. God says, watch this. Probably nudges Jesus. Check this out. Remember that promise? Yeah, watch this. Hey, Holy Spirit, go. That, that they were all in one accord. One, I'm going to read it. They're all in one accord, in one room. They're all in the upper room. 120 faithful souls who have dedicated themselves to tarrying for the promise. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There was nobody in there that said, Man, did you feel that? No. There was nobody outside of there that said, did y'all notice that? No. This was a mighty rushing wind. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and sat upon each of them. And and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In that moment, God sealed a new covenant with His people. He gave His law to the people, His new covenant, not written on stone tablets, but written on on our hearts, that not that not that we can just be a, a, a nation of, of pastors and, and church people. No, that's not what God's called us to. In fact, Peter writes it perfectly. He says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that it is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we are forever changed, our purpose, our hope, Our future is changed in that moment. No longer are we just pew sitters. Come on, how many of you know we are gospel proclaimers? We are the living, breathing people of God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Look at your neighbor and say, I am a priest. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm a holy nation. This should get you so excited that you want to jump out of your chair. 
that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, sent his, his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Man, we are forgiven. But not only that, we are now renewed in our purpose that we have the ability to walk with God in holy covenant through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is the promise fulfilled. It's not just some psychological gospel. It's not just speaking in tongues. It's not just giving words of knowledge and prophecy and healing and all those things. Yeah, that's all part of it. And I'm going to get to that. The power of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is that now we are renewed and have a new covenant through Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit that comes and lives and dwells in us. Man, we are changed forever. We have a new identity. God didn't do that on purpose. You see, the Holy Spirit is not only a gift, but He's God at work in His church. He's not a gift. It's not just some gift. It's not like just some add-on thing. I'd gotten a new uh, sling prescription, you know, the TV cable thing, right? Internet cable. And I get to pick some add-ons, like $5 from Hallmark, and my wife is happy, right? I get ESPN, she gets Hallmark, okay? That's not the Holy Spirit. I'm saved. You can get the Holy Spirit if you want to. That's not how it works. It's not an add-on gospel. It's not, a, it's not something, well, if you go to this church, you can get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not how it works, friends. That is the crux of the gospel. That's like saying, I want to get delivered out of the bondage of Israel. I mean, out of the bondage of Egypt. I want to come into the, to the wilderness, and I want to go to the mountain, and I want to hear God speak and say, eh, Moses, you just talk to him. I'll just kind of go over here and mind my own business. That's not the church today. That's not who this church is. That's not who these believers are. That we're believers that say, no, we're going to stand with Moses at the mountain. We're going to stand with Jesus at the cross. We're going to stand as believers, one together, and we're going to begin to let, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and speak through us to a world that is lost and dying. How many of you know God didn't, didn't reveal himself to his people, Israel, so that they, they can bring condemnation to the world? Their plan was that they can bring truth to the world. Because sin was in the world. Jesus didn't save us that we can have a nice little social club and we all get along and dress up on Sunday morning. Well, God saved us that we can go into all the earth, preaching the gospel, making disciples, teaching them his laws and commandments, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose. That's our calling. That's our covenant. You see, in that day, even what God began to call his people changed. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a moment of renewal, a new covenant. Think of it like marriage. In that moment, there's a ceremony. But after that, their identities have changed. Not, not only, I don't just get married and then go back to my old life. It wouldn't work. But my identity changes See, the church's identity changed that moment. God begins to call them his bride, his wife, his body, his building, his temple, his vineyard, his pillar, his assembly. And even us as individual believers, our identity changes in that moment. Whenever we're baptized in his Holy Spirit, God begins to call us his sons, his heirs, his daughters, his adopted, his born again, his new creations, his servants, his friends, his brothers. We just have to listen to his voice. And keep his commandments, and he will lead us. The Holy Spirit is a 
supernatural release of the redemptive power of God through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, you see Peter in that moment. People begin to say, what in the world is happening? Peter said, everything has changed. No longer is there separation between God and man, but God has came to this earth through his son, Jesus Christ, who went back into heaven as David alluded to during worship. He said, it's better that I go away because I'm sending another, a comforter, who will be with you and go with you wherever you go. This is the promise. The redemptive power of God in work in the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And it shall come to pass in the, in, the, in the days, in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And my maidservants and maidservants, my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs on earth beneath, and blood and fire and, and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it's a, it's a supernatural redemptive power of God's church Peter's very life changed in that moment he went from denying Christ to proclaiming Christ y'all remember the story Peter was just he would deny Jesus there before a little girl next thing you know he's on the street corners speaking to tens of thousands of people why because he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in boldness his attitude went from self-preservation to Christ's declaration. Well, how many of us, we get saved, we get baptized in the Holy Ghost, and we think that, oh man, we're good to go now. Go back to my life as I used to be. No, everything changes. The Holy Spirit's a new covenant, not only with the nation of Israel, but for all believers, and this is important. You see, God established a new covenant on and, and the, on the mountain of Sinai. That covenant was with his people Israel, but the purpose of that covenant was to redeem the world. God established a new covenant through his son Jesus Christ that all the world might be saved. How does he do that? He sends his, he sends his Holy Spirit into his church that the church can go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. Do you see the pattern? You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit wasn't just for Jewish believers, but it was for all believers. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, there was a certain man named Cornelius. He was a Gentile. It means he wasn't Jew, but it says he was devout, and he was God-fearing, and he was seeking the Lord. And Peter, through a vision, was told to go and preach to this man. Peter, of course, is having to be convinced by God because before that moment, the, gen the gospel wasn't for the Gentiles. It was just for the Jews and the Samaritans. But Peter goes because why? Because Peter's listening to the voice See, God was speaking to him. He was listening to the voice and obeying the commands, obeying the covenant. See, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you stories, I mean, but we're, we're going to be here all day. We have to be listening to the voice. God sent his Holy Spirit into you, not just for gifts and anointing, but so he can speak to you and through you. God wants you to accomplish great things. 
Peter goes in Acts 10, 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words. Peter's just like, hey, Mr. Gentile guy. Cornelius, right? The centurion. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's telling them the things that, I mean, he doesn't know what he knows or don't know. He's preaching to them. It says that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed. They were astonished because they saw the Holy Spirit, this new covenant that God promised. The promise of the Father came to the Gentiles as well, to those who were outside of Israel. And as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. See, Peter went to devout men. See, I believe that, and something changed. I believe that, that the Holy Spirit can't go where there's no holiness. Someone, let me just kind of, the, the Holy Spirit can't go where there's no holiness. You can't get baptized in the Holy Ghost without being saved. See, because it requires a certain amount of righteousness. And there's none, none of us are righteous. No, not one, except for by the blood of Jesus Christ, all of our sins are washed white as snow. And we are before the eyes of God righteous and whole and pure. And the Holy Spirit can come and dwell. This man was devout. He was seeking after God. He was praying to God and said, God heard his prayers. And he sent Peter. And then he sent his Holy Spirit. And these people that were standing around, they saw it. It wasn't like, I mean, just to get the image, I'm just going to act like Cornelius. Maybe he was kneeling down and he's praying quietly. Oh, yes, Lord. I agree with everything Peter's saying. That's so good. Thank you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, there's the Holy Spirit. Okay, yeah. And all the people were astonished because they saw some change. I don't think it was just some internal change. I don't think it was just some, see, this was a devout man. And a person who has that, that title of devoutness is typically pretty reserved and reverent. You see, but I believe that in that moment, that man's very personality changed, his identity changed. I believe that as Peter was beginning to even speak to him those words of truth, that in that moment, their hearts begin to erupt with the things of the Lord. And they begin to hear, hear them speak with new tongues that were foreign, tongues of angels. And they begin to magnify God. You see, baptism of the Holy Spirit, although I believe that the evidence, the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. That's been the, that is the theme throughout Scripture. But I've seen so many people that say that they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because they're not magnifying God in everything that they do. Man, I want you to know that whenever my heart was changed and I began to give up my own and surrender my will to the Lord, to the one who baptized me and saved me, that there was nothing that can hold me back from magnifying the name of God in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Thank you, Lord. 
I want you to know today that maybe the only thing that's, that's keeping you from, that's preventing you from experiencing the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you're not willing to let go of that pride, that devoutness that you have within you that says, I'm too afraid what people might think if they hear me speaking with other tongues, if they see me jumping and worshiping the Lord and praise. I want you to are shouting, thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Something changed in that moment, and everybody noticed it. You can't have the Holy Spirit without holiness. Some of the greatest revivals in this earth began in prayer meetings when people dedicated themselves to a life of prayer and holiness. On that day of Pentecost, the people were 120 people. They were tarrying, waiting, seeking, praying, purified, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the blood of Washed white as snow. I believe they didn't even want to go outside that their minds could be contaminated with lust. They were waiting there. Lord, we're waiting for your promise. So many great revivals take place. But is the church today who's seeking revival, are we waiting for some emotional experience? Are we willing to go to that upper room place to purify our own hearts and our own minds and begin to seek God from a place of purity and wholeness? Because the Holy Spirit can't dwell in a place of unholiness. Or do we just want some high praise emotional revival that's like a little flash in the pan? I believe that God wants to have a revival on this earth, a revival of His Holy Spirit, a revival of his anointing, a revival of his new covenant, a revival of holiness, a revival of purity, a revival of hope, a revival of surrender, a revival of redemption. I remember when I first took the pastorate of this church, God showed me, Joe, this is a traditional church that was founded on on the day of Pentecost through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God wants to use this church to bring healing and redemption and miracles and wonders, but he wants to use this church to bring revival to this city and to this region. But we have to live a life that's holy and set apart. Even after you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you have to begin to live a life that's holy. Ephesians uh, 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I'm concerned when I, see, when I meet people who operate in the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. They want to come into the church and prophesy, but they won't go into their, their workplace and preach. You see, God's called us to a, a life of holiness, of purity, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, <clears throat> self-control. Ephesians 4.32, Paul continues to explain, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I have never met, I mean, this is just my experience, some, some of the most grudge-holding people I've ever met, I met sitting in a church pew. Brothers and sisters, if you want to see a move of God, in your family, if you want to see a move of God in your community, if you want to see a move of God in your school, if you want to see a move of God in your church, you need to forgive. It says we need to be kind to one another. Amen. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God gave Christ. 
he forgave you. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that we seek after. It's not just something or an it. The Holy Spirit is God. He's expressed through his Holy Spirit. It's God coming and living and dwelling in you. It's, it, get the image of the Garden of Eden. It's God like walking with Adam and Eve. If you walk in holiness and purity, the Holy Spirit comes, lives and dwells in you. He's talking to you all, time, all the time. That's how Paul can say, I, I'm continually in prayer. Friends, I, I am praying all the time. And even if I don't know what to pray, I can just pray in the Spirit. And God knows. He hears. It says that if we don't know what to pray, God can give us the utterance of the Spirit. And He knows our prayers. How many of you know when it's God's prayers, God can move? He's not just something, but the Holy Spirit is, is God. It's a person. He has a personality. He can be grieved. He says He's the comforter. That we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, if we just continue in our sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. He parts. He leaves. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can't dwell outside of holiness. Or he can't dwell in unholiness. You're made holy through Jesus Christ. As long as we walk in his and hear his voice and obey his covenant and his command, he'll continue to walk with us. I want to invite the, the worship team You see, here today, I believe that there's been too much emphasis on programs, and there's been too much emphasis on structure. There's been too much emphasis on psychology and personality and, and all those things. And we need to reorganize our, our focus and our priorities to make sure that we are listening to the voice of the Lord and we're obeying the, the commandments of the Lord. Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, then you will be my disciples. If you don't obey, man, you're not his student. And God says this. He said, Jesus said, he says, wait. Look at your neighbor say, wait. Look at your other neighbor say, I'm waiting. He says, Terry, wait for the promise of the Father. Friends, that, that experience, although it happened in the book of Acts, there in the upper room, it says that, man, God and the Holy Spirit fell. Mighty rushing, rushing wind. Then it fell again in Cornelius. Then you look in Acts chapter 19. Paul, he's going, he's preaching. He says, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit since you first believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was some such thing as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that all about? And he began to tell them they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, it's not something that just happened once, but it's something that happens even today. You see, I believe that God is calling us to a new covenant with Him. That He wants the, the promise of the Father to be fulfilled in each and every one of us, us as a church. And I want you to know we're going to function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, the gifts are just the evidence, but the Holy Spirit is the, what we really seek after. I want God living and dwelling in more will your heavenly father give to the Holy Spirit or will give the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask him. To those who ask him. Here this morning, I want to give an opportunity. If you've never received that baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've never received that promise of the Father, if you've never said, I I begin to walk in the fullness of my purpose, today you can ask him. I just want you to come up here to the front. I just want you to begin to acknowledge who Jesus is. See, David couldn't tell me, hey man, just hold on to it. I'm going to go receive it in the back later. He had to just receive it at that moment. Right now is that moment. It's that moment for you to receive your salvation. So while the worship team plays, if you feel weird or anxious, that's okay. Believe me, it's okay. But I don't want you to miss this moment. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ and receive his gift of salvation this morning, we're going to take a minute right now. I just want you to just come forward and just come right up here to one of these altars and just stand there. I have some friends that are going to come and and pray with you. If that's you, make your way forward right now. to know that we're all saved here in this place. Right now, I believe that there's some of us who have never received that baptism in the Holy Spirit. I believe that today is your day. I believe that today is the day that the same way that those apostles, as they came, they waited in that upper room. They waited, they tarried for the promise of the Father. That promise is still available today that you can receive that baptism the same way that we come into covenant with this church and God and baptism by water. We are baptized in this Holy Spirit. A new covenant is line is drawn with us. No longer do we have to have a, uh, just a, a, a covenant that's written on uh, tablets of stone, but we have a covenant that is written upon our hearts. And we will be endued with power from on high. Well, how many of you know that that power comes from God? his gifts begin to flow in us and through us. But it's not the gifts we seek, it's the giver. It's the Father who sent his Son, who sent his Holy Spirit. Right now, if you just want prayer, if you want us to just receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come up right now, just right in front of one of these these prayer warriors here. And they're just going to come into agreement. They're going to begin to pray with you right now. But that's you. Can you just make your way forward? If you just want to receive that baptism of the Holy Spirit, just come forward. 
right now, just receive it. Well, God's already done the work. He's already signed the legal paperwork. All we have to do is receive the promise.
Lord, I pray, Father, for, for each and every person that you would give them strength, Lord, as they as they go throughout their weeks, Lord, to be, be witnesses of who you are to each and every person that they encounter in their workplace, in their schools, in their, in their jobs, Lord. I pray, Father, for, for all these things in your mighty name. Amen. We hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.